You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, I'm joined by Stephen Hussey. Stephen is the host of Love Life and the Speaking Generally podcasts. Stephen is a writer at gettheguy.com and a PhD graduate from Oxford University. Not too shabby. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Joe. Uh, a pleasure. Man, my pleasure. Um, so we asked our Instagram audience um, a while back what questions that they had around dating, around relationships. And it kind of seems to me like there's a lot of uh, nihilism, a lot of pessimism surrounding the current dating market. Uh, people seem to be drowning in apps, swiping, uh, dates that don't go anywhere, flaky partners, pseudo relationships. Why is dating in the modern world so complicated? Um, well, I think we have new tools. Uh, we have a very, in the entire world right now, an extremely unusual situation in human history where not very long ago, you would only meet a partner within your village or town and then expanded to city. And even that seemed like a big pool. And now we're in a world where I can, you know, you could be looking at Instagram pictures of someone who lives in Indonesia or someone who's, you know, over in, I don't know, California, and you can message them and you can meet them on a dating app. And that's one extreme change that I think in some ways we, we underrate how unusual that is, that you can see everyone in the world and, and the way that changes the dating market, at least psychologically for us. Maybe you're not going to date someone over in the Philippines or something, but your mind suddenly sees everyone as, you know, you, you might think, well, they're miles away. I'm not going to, but I think you're aware there's all these people out there and that creates this infinite uh, field of choice. Uh, so that kind of confuses things. Um, and I think we've also just come to expect a hell of a lot from relationships. And that's been something that's grown you know, throughout as marriage stopped being an economic thing, it started becoming a romantic thing and, you know, high level of individualism and people thinking, well, my, my partner not only needs to be my lover, but my best friend, my, my partner in, you know, our work and money, and I want them to make me laugh. And I want them to also love the same things I do, the same movies, travel. I think this all builds up we expect a hell of a lot from our relationships these days. And I think, you know, those are just two forces that I think start to make this feel very overwhelming and complicated because it's a big choice. It's a, it's a huge choice for your happiness and maybe the biggest, you know, one of the biggest you ever make really for your long-term happiness, uh, being in a healthy, functional, happy relationship. So it's a serious choice that people take very seriously. And, um, you know, that that creates a lot of anxiety around it mm. it's interesting because i heard esther perel say that we now expect from one person what an entire village 
would used to give to us. Do you think that, that that's true now? Yeah, I mean, I love the work of Esther and, and she, you know, I do see her as a kind of mentor. I, I don't know her personally, but I see her as a kind of mentor in this area. But um, yeah, I think I think there's, you know, even if you look at the way some people in the Western world do live more less with their family unit and their tribe of people and you might have all your friends from university and school but then you scatter off to your various parts of the world and that tribe kind of is gone right like maybe you have some friends who live I have some friends who live in different parts of London but do, do I see them that often like a couple but a bunch I don't they're around but we're not in these units where everyone you know what happens often is people get into a couple they silo away in their apartment or their house. Maybe they go and buy a house or go in an apartment and they get the children. And then it's sort of, for a lot of people, it's like, now we'll never socialize again. And we will just be us going mad in this apartment together, raising this child. And I think that does, you know, for a lot of people, it, it puts a hell of a lot of pressure on two people raising the child and also kind of, they, they may not be fortunate enough to have that community, the family, you know, I'm, you know, I'm very lucky in my family that we do have quite a close unit of my mum's really close to her twin sister and their kids. And I kind of grew up with them. So one, one thing that's been fortunate for us as some of my cousins and things have had children is just seeing how, you know, uh, the nans are around to kind of pick up some slack or other people are around to, you know, just be another support because, you know, if you have two or three kids, it's kind of, they can drive you mental, but just having that family support, I think is a big, big thing. So I think that, I think that does have some effects. Yeah. As people become siloed into their little, you know, units. Another thing which I'd like heard you talk about on the podcast is kind of like the concept of being 2D versus 3D. And I was, th- I was having a conversation uh, very recently and um, one thing that I kind of notice is that we're in an era where it kind of seems cool to pretend that we don't have any needs. And I was thinking, well, my car needs to be serviced or else the engine will break down. If I tip milk in my fridge, then I may have to go and buy a new fridge. If I don't right. empty my, my Hoover bag, then I may have to go and buy a new Hoover But suddenly, because we're human, it's uncool to say, oh, well, I need to speak to you this amount a week or I need this much quality time with you. So I was wondering, why does it seem like we are so afraid of being our true selves and speaking about what it is that we want and need? I was talking to my brother about this recently. And for those who don't know, my brother has a big YouTube channel and talks about the fact that we have come to this point where people kind of fetishize independence in a big way in relationships. And we've, we've so, you know, we've so gone into that story of I can handle everything myself and I, you know, built my interesting life and I've got my career and I've got my friends and, you know, that's all, there's all good parts to that, good currents to that where people want to be self-actualized, but there's also, you if you want a partner in your life you kind of you have to show there's room for them there to be a part of that life you have to kind of be willing to give something to be like i'm here putting myself on the table i want this i want to have someone to share this with 
And not only that, but it would give me something that I can't fulfill on my own. Like that's what it would give me. And that requires a certain level of being able to show up, being able to show up and, you know, show your real self, show that you have needs and this would be something exciting for you. I think there's so much of people wanting to be so playing it cool and yet inside loads of people are like, I'd really love some connection though, or I really want a relationship, but I cannot, you know, and, and it comes to also people feel so ashamed of even admitting that they would like to work on this part of their life to, you know, there's things I could learn. Everyone just thinks that no one would think it with money or with their body, but people have this instinctive thing of how you are in your love life or socializing is how you you would, this is just how you are. And of course I get, I know how to socialize. I know how to uh, attract people. Like, like people are very proud of, you know, whatever, or they just think that's my level. And yeah, it, it's, it takes a lot of vulnerability to be able to say, I might need to actually start showing a different side of myself here. I might have to stop being too cool for school all the time and start to actually reach out on a date. You know, everyone's also trying to like, no one, you know, no one wants to like show their cards first. It's like being on a date and like, I've got all this and here's my great, I've got a great job and I've got it all together and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no one wants to show first that they're actually a human being <laughs> and they are, you know, they have things that they struggle with or things that might be difficult or, you know, oh, this is something, you know, just telling a story that makes you, a story doesn't have to make you like seem like, oh, I'm a mess, I'm a chaotic mess. That's not what I'm talking about. But a story can show an, a side of you that's vulnerable in a way that's attractive. Mm. It can show like, hey, these are some difficult things I've been through that I've overcome or I'm working on. Uh, this is something with my mom that was going on recently. And, you know, I'm trying to help her with this because she struggles with that. And that's something I understand. Just that gives me a sense of like, oh, there's, there's a human being here. There's some three-dimensional person with a life that's not just like, I go to work, I'm great, I'm great, I'm really successful, I'm, you know, got it all together. It's like, oh no, there's there's substance, there's there's something I can do here. And I mean, giving giving someone like a just a genuine, real compliment that isn't just a like a brush off, like, oh, you look great, you look nice. Like something that's a genuine compliment. That's a vulnerability. That's showing like. Uh, this is me praising you, not why I'm the shit, why I'm great. Um, yeah, it's it's super important. I think it's something that people, because I think because we're taught so much, you know, we try and collect these badges of accomplishment. And that's something that we all just instinctively herd towards because they're an easy heuristic, like I've got the right degree, I've got the right job, I went to the right school, like, look at me, I've really like, you know, achieved the badges of society success and then people think so why isn't it just translating to me having a great relationship and it's it's like because there's there's a whole different thing there that's required yeah and i love so much of what you said today i love the point about we've fetishized independence you know i, I blame neo for his song for that um but you blame who neo if you admit independent i i blame oh right I, <laughs> <laughs> I blame him for that. Uh, but yeah, I remember when I was younger, I read uh, Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits and he talked about the kind of pyramid of dependence, inter uh, independence, then interdependent at the top. 
and that requires two independent people but of course you need you need to have space in your life for someone else so i i love that point um i also love the point that you made about uh how in every other area of our lives in career in health and fitness we see these things as areas of that we can approach with a growth mindset that just because we're here one day doesn't mean we can't get to you. But in love life, and very often you hear advice like, just be yourself and it will come to you. What do you think about that advice of just be yourself? Yeah, you know, the the thing is, it's, you know, certain cliches are always there because you know, there's many cliches that are true and they exist for a reason because there's there's some implicit wisdom, maybe old wisdom in them. I think it's whether it's helpful and also the question of what being yourself actually means. And, you know, some people want to just say, you know, I, I grew up extremely shy. Like I've always had a, a level of shyness and I, but I had it, you know, in a in a very extreme way when I was a kid, I think I was very, I, I grew up like chubby and struggled with weight. And I think that didn't help. And, you know, I didn't always lack self-confidence, but I was extremely shy at meeting new people and nervous talking to anyone and especially girls and stuff. And, you know, when I look back now, I'm like, is that who I was? Is that who I was on the deepest fundamental level? It's like, well, really, in a way I was hiding who I was because I was afraid of showing myself too much or, you know, putting myself out there, being who I actually wanted to be, being who I was at home with my brothers, just hanging out, you know, messing around or with my cousins. And in a way that was the real me and the shy me was this wall that I had. Um, So I think people often complicate that when they want to say, well, you're just fine as you are, just be yourself. I, I get it when you want to tell people like, hey, you've got great qualities, you know, you should embrace them. But I think some of us need a little help. Like some of us need a little help shedding our uh, insecurities and our barriers. And I, I think often we've just got used to a story we've told ourselves for so long that we start to believe it. People, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day with the uh, author Ramit Sethi, who writes about money, uh, the, the site I will teach you to be rich. And he talked about people just have a story with money for years of, I am bad with money. I always overspend. Uh, I don't know how to use it and I don't know how to invest it. And, you know, he said over time, really, all it is, is they they haven't taken the time to properly, they, they just guessed their whole lives. They haven't taken any time to assess how to use money or to think about it or to learn. And when people do, suddenly they realize like, that was a BS story. I had just told myself, maybe it was just easy to just say, I'm just bad with money and not really address what might be a painful topic for many people. I think it can be the same in love. I've I've seen people who, man, I've, we do retreats one. uh, Well, we used to do retreats once a year before COVID. We did them twice a year. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back doing them soon, but you know, we and, and we spend a week with people in Florida, you know, looking at their self-esteem. And there's people who, uh, after a divorce, you know, they haven't been back out there dating for 10 years. And their story is that I can't do this. I don't know how dating works. I never had to do that. I met my husband when I was 18 and I don't know what to do anymore. I'm not I'm not an in, I'm not an attractive, sociable person, all these things. And it's like, well, 
you only have to spend a few days with these people to realize there's a whole world inside they would love to come out and they would love to actually connect with people when they do you know have a passionate romantic uh flirty side a sexy side that they just don't let out and you know i think it's i just think it's extremely limiting to say you know you are who you are just be yourself now you still want to you there is a part of you where there are qualities in you that are authentically you if you are bookish and intellectual and you love your you know you love nerdy stuff or you're sporty and athletic you're an outdoors person those might be things that are you know they they are deep passions inside you that in some level define you and that's great and you can embrace them and you know you should you know you shouldn't like when people say be yourself they might mean don't hide those things that you think uh, maybe I should be more sporty because that's more attractive. That's the bad version of, you know, trying to change to uh, trying to change for the wrong reasons. But often I find being yourself is a case not of trying on clothes that don't fit. It's almost shedding. It's shedding all the crap and the negative shell you've built up over time to kind of peel back what's actually underneath. I really love that. I really love that. And I think that there are so many stories that we tell ourselves in dating these kind of limiting beliefs we tell ourselves oh i always attract assholes or uh, no one will ever love me and all these kind of really limiting beliefs and on this show we've talked a long time about personal development about self-growth about overcoming these stories which you said which you guys have been helping people through your retreats through your con through your content through your podcast all these things to help unwind as you were saying that it made me think that with the work which we've been doing about helping people or bringing people on to help them actualize as someone moves up maslow's pyramid and they keep developing does it make it harder to actually find someone the more developed that you get Mm, that's a great question i um you know the thing is, the more you ever are demanding, the, the more criteria you demand in a partner, you are on some level making it more difficult. You are cutting out a bunch of people who don't meet that criteria. So by definition, you add criteria, you are cutting potential mates out of your pool. Sometimes that's for really deep-seated reasons that are just incredibly uncompromisable and important to you. Maybe you are a Christian or you're Jewish or you're Muslim and you say, I want to date someone of the same faith. Fine. Um, If that's a big thing, it's important. You want to raise your kids a certain way. That's all good. You just have to recognize you are eliminating many people from your pool. If you are comfortable with that, that's cool. Um, If you start saying, I'm attracted to uh, people of a certain height. If I attracted to people who uh, have this body shape, uh, whatever it might be that people's preferences are, and there might be preferences some people have. I want someone who's educated to this level. I want someone who uh, earns a certain level where I feel comfortable. I feel we're going to be taken care of. And then, you know, to your point, it might be someone say, I want someone who's on some level. Uh, spiritually evolved to a way where they are they have are able to think about themselves uh 
you know, on a deep level, they've done a lot of self work and, you know, kind of care about the things that I do on a self-actualization level. I think you just have to, what you have to recognize is where the areas are that are really, really crucial. And then just realizing the stuff that actually is, that's, that's kind of like desirable, but not essential. And I think what a lot of people do is they love to devise all these ideal checklists and my enormous hundred point checklist like a menu for like, yeah, I want that height. I want him to have a six pack. I want her to have, I want her to have this length hair and I want her to have a PhD or be a a PhD, model. <laughs> yeah, a PhD in this specific subject though. Cause I'm not really a sciencey person, maybe like English or something. And it might be like all these, you know, and then you get to the stage where you go, well, you're, you're, you're either doing this to just as a way to, deal yourself out from having to actually put yourself on the line. You're creating a unicorn in your mind uh, or you are just, you know, you are thinking of a person like a menu of options in a restaurant where you just pick all the things you want, but love and people and connection doesn't work like that. Usually my friend said this once, he says, as you get older, your standards should become more precise, but smaller. It's almost like the stuff you thought when you were 20 was really important and the stuff you wanted to show off about this boyfriend I've got, this girlfriend. You realize like a lot of that stuff wasn't wasn't actually so important. And actually, I really just want someone who uh, is intellectually curious like me. They have family values and they're fundamentally kind and I'm attracted to them. You know, you might... You might have things at the margins you like and don't like, but you'll realize like, does it matter if we like, if we both like David Lynch movies? Does it matter if we both uh, like F. Scott Fitzgerald? It, it, you know, you realize all these things are like, you know, this is nice to have, but actually it's not the thing I'm looking for. Um, but I think it's hard. I do think it's hard if you are self-reflective and you are a very growth-oriented person. I do think it's tough if you are dating someone who doesn't have that mindset, I think that can be difficult because it can be frustrating. So you often do want someone who has, don't have to be at the same level or whatever, but you want someone who has the same mindset, the same approach to problems or the same approach to their self-development as you. I think that's helpful. Have you noticed any uh, characteristics or underrated qualities things that you see in people because i really like that list of things that you talked about but there in terms of uh being family oriented and these other things that i've noticed that as i've got older the things that i wanted when i was 18 now that i'm 25 they're completely different things and i noticed right. that they are definitely getting smaller and more specific like for me one of the things that i really like now is that i really like people that like me whereas kind mm-hmm. of when i was 18 i, I was kind of like if I don't have to go and build them a house, then I'm not really interested, <laughs> you know? So I wonder like what kind of, do you notice that any underrated characteristics uh, that you think that we should be talking about more and more these days when we're looking for a potential partner? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, just, just to circle back on what you said there, Joe, when you said build them a house, <laughs> I think you're all, I feel like your audience might get a nugget here. What, were you implying you would be attracted to someone because they would, it would 
you would feel like you had to do a lot to keep their attention. Is that that's, what you're saying? That's it. Kind of like uh, Noah from the Notebook. I'll write, I'll write <laughs> yeah. you a letter a day for a year. I'll build your house. I'll I'll be suicidal on the edge of yeah, a Ferris yeah. wheel. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was an extreme gesture in that film. Um, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have for a strategy. He also hung off a Ferris wheel until she said yes to him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you should maybe see that, maybe, <laughs> yeah maybe that book wasn't a great guide after all um i uh um yeah sorry that was a divergence your question was uh, oh underrated qualities yeah so yeah i i think some of these you know again the beautiful thing is that some of these can be really personal uh to people and kind of part of the part of the journey of self-discovery is figuring out like what you like is the only thing that matters and not worrying about what everyone else thinks is great. You know, the, the less you can be concerned, you know, with, oh, what's, what is Dave, does Dave think she's like right or not? You know, you, you'll be much happier. But yeah, I think, I think underrated things, I think it's always like the quiet, subtle things, like people who will um, build you up in public instead of, you know, disrespecting each other in public. And that, that sounds obvious, but I notice couples do that all the time, even in the most minor ways. It's like they become so used to each other. And then in public, they kind of, even in small ways, like run each other down. Mm. And I always think like that, you don't want to like publicly, you know, you start doing that publicly enough and it starts kind of becoming ingrained, like this kind of like, oh, they're kind of digging at me in front of other people there. And I always feel like I always really appreciate when someone is, you know complimentary in public and then in private you might have the discussions about you know just things like oh hey there's this thing that happened at the party that you know frustrated me or I want to ask about and talk about and you know just though it's always like these small acts of like care and respect you know it might even just be asking follow-up questions when your partner you know everyone wants to talk to their partner about something they are excited about and they're passionate about and just even being like wow I can hear I can hear in their voice they really want to talk about this right now and I'm gonna like instead of injecting any opinion I'm gonna ask three follow-up questions before I interject with oh well, here's what you should do or here's my opinion like just let them talk a bit more like how did you feel when you did that or why you know what do you love about x so much what do you love about that and just letting them do that giving them space I feel like these are the things that the motor that keeps a relationship somewhere where people feel like, oh, I feel, I feel like I have joy talking to this person. I feel relaxed talking to this person or having a partner who just even would take care of something that you, you know, oh, I booked this. Don't worry. I booked the tickets. I've sorted it or I've sorted the car for tonight. I've made sure we're going to get home because I've sorted these, these little acts. I think John Gottman talks about the fact that relationships that last often have uh, ratio of interactions, positive to negative, of at least five to one or six to one, something like that. And these all add up. It's not enough to just say, um, you know, oh, but we we get along really well, but we kind of snip at each other and, you know, just kind of coasting along. I think you have to create these little spikes of like, did a generous thing for them today. Uh gave them a compliment in public, did something that made them feel great or whatever, like gave them a hug when they, you know, just for no reason. These things all add up and they're probably all the things that are undervalued. 
when you're in a relationship. Are there any questions or ways to know that we may have found a person that we could be with for a long time? Yeah, I actually wrote an article about this uh, a while back that that did very well. And I, I kind of adapted. Um, there's a great book that I read when I was struggling with whether to break up with someone or not. And it was called Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay. It was by Mira Kirschenbaum, I believe. And she spent, you know, the whole book goes through this process of you know, deciding whether you should be in this relationship or not, and whether this person's right for you. And she goes through like a diagnostic approach where you ask a series of yes or no questions. And if it's yes, you carry on. If it's no, you don't. And, you know, the the first one might be really obvious, like, does your partner physically abuse you or make you feel in danger? You know, these kind of like start are the most fundamental. But then as you go on, they get a bit more um, subtle and sophisticated. And I kind of took what I felt like were the some of the absolute core ones from here. Like, could you just do in like four questions? And so in this piece, I'm going to try and remember this correctly. But the first one was just, do you feel some kind of unique physical attraction to this person? Some kind of unique attraction that, you know, makes you feel like there's there's a tug of, oh, I like this person. I want to be near them. That just some sense of animal chemistry. Hmm. Um, second one, uh, and that's because as well, like I think Guy Winch, the relationship author, said if you don't have the basic embers of a relationship, it that flame has to be kept alive. And if you don't have the embers at the start, really, really difficult. Um, so you want those basic embers there. Um, the second one was, do I like the way this person spends their time? And do I, or do does it cause me, you know, they get drunk every weekend and I hate it. And I'm like a fitness junkie. And every weekend there's like laid out, you know, hung over and it frustrates me every time. And I really don't like, you know, what they do with their, you know, what they do with their days, essentially. Um, I feel they're really lazy or I feel like they hang out in toxic places with the wrong people, whatever it might be. Um, or maybe you feel like your partner just works all the damn time and you hate it and you want someone who's going to be around. So do you fundamentally like and respect the way this person spends their time? The third one is how difficult is it to get your needs met, your basic needs met in this relationship? Like I've been in relationships before where there were lots of good things, but a couple of fundamental things, it was just too painful for me to stick it out. And it might've been just a need for, um, it could be it could be anything for anyone, but it might just be like, you know what, this person just is constantly complaining to me about stuff. This person is constantly negative um, or your need for basic respect. This person just disrespects my time all the time. They never do what they say they're going to do. Maybe your need for closeness. This person, you know, I just don't feel like I'm loved and touched in the way that I'd love to be like, I want more physical closeness and I just don't have it and I feel neglected. So any of those things, if your fundamental needs Maybe you only get them met, you know, one time out of every seven times a month. It's not going to be enough to sustain you. It's going to be a life of frustration. And the final one was just, do we have the same vision for the next five, 10, 15 years? You, you, you're, you're not going to know everything two decades ahead, but can you both say at this point in your life, we both want the same 
things. We both want to live, you know, we've got a plan where we want to live together. We're both ready to settle down. We both want to have a family. We both want to uh, live in the same city or whatever. Or do you have conflicting visions? Because I've seen that break up many people as well, where they might have had some great partnership or qualities together, but they ultimately just didn't have the same vision for the next few years. They're in different stages of their lives, different priorities, and it takes someone brave enough to say, you know what, this isn't going to work because I want something different with my life right now. So I'm going to link that article in the show notes below. So the first one was how attracted to them, uh, the kind of raw chemical embers, we call it. The second one was time. Uh, second one was, do I do I like and respect the way they spend their time? Do I like and respect the way they spend their time? Then it was, how easy is it to get my knees met or the difficulty yeah. to get my needs met? And then do we have the same vision for the next X amount of years? Um, yeah. Really, really like that list. That's a very helpful list. I feel like a lot of people will kind of end up in pseudo relationships because they will hear those questions and then they'll see a red flag like in, oh, I don't know, like my needs are not going to get met or I don't like the way that this person spends their time, but then not walk away at the same time when they see those red flags. And mm -hmm. I've heard you say very often that uh, I heard you say once that you were on a date, a first date, and someone said, oh, I, I'm a selfish person or I'm this and that on the first date. But very often we will ignore those things, knowing that in three years, that will probably be what ends the relationship. I would love to ask if you could kind of talk about what would be the mindset of someone who sees red flags early on, what would be the mindset of someone that sees those things and that will go on to win at love? Part of this is just, part of this is just really, really, really valuing your time. Mm. And I think certain, you know, some people have so deeply ingrained that their time is the most precious asset that they have that they can't, they can't countenance taking the risk on someone where there's big red flags because they just realize like, I'm, you know, I haven't got time to be messing around here or for someone where this is going to work for two years, but then we're going to drive each other nuts. So some people have just highly pragmatic mindset anyway. I think there's also, you know, I, you know, I do a lot of investing and I do see this as a, I do think there's a lot of benefits to thinking about these things like an investor and just thinking, you know, how much do you want the risk that if you're going to be, you know, a relationship is a big investment. You're putting a lot of your capital emotionally time-wise in. And do you want the risk that how much risk are you willing to take that that stock's going to go to zero? Yeah. Like, are you happy to lose your entire investment on this stock? And it's not that I think every relationship that ends is a total waste of your time because sometimes that you're young and you learn things and you, you don't get it right first time. Like rarely does that happen. Um, so that's fine. You sometimes, you sometimes take the risk with the knowledge you have, but, what you can't do, you know, or you take the risk with the knowledge you don't yet have because you don't know everything yet. And sometimes that that's what, you know, getting into a relationship with someone is. You are taking a chance on this. There's some things you're going to learn. But what you can't do is take a risk on 
the glaring red flag you see right in front of you and you know it's there and then you're saying hey i know this uh i know this massive oncoming freight train i can see it down the tracks but you know let's give it the old college try and see if i manage to run through the train this time and it doesn't flatten me i think uh i think that's what happens frequently but it's often because it's not because people can't uh, you know after a few goes people are often aware of the red flags and certainly there's things i would have i did put up with in relationships when i was 19 that now I'd be like, good Lord, I would never date someone like that now. Or I'd never date someone who uh, said those things or acted that insecure and needy or acted that jealous or acted that whatever it might be. It's like, man, I would never, I would see that immediately and be like, I'm, I'm out. But you kind of have to get to a stage where you are, you are totally happy. You know, this is where you've got to, you got to learn how to be single as well as being in a relationship. You've got to realize the asset is my time. The asset is me feeling at peace with my emotions, not being in chaos and conflict. And if I truly value that deeply, there's no way I'm going to suddenly invite a viciously jealous person into that existence. And, you know, with the the life I've built over the last 10 years, you know, it's been hard work. I've done, I feel like I've come a long way. I've done a lot. I've achieved things. I want to achieve more, but it's like, I don't now have time. I've got too many things that matter to me. I've got too much going on now. It's too much that is at stake and is important to me. I haven't got time for someone also uh, suddenly being really jealous, suddenly uh, giving me random chaotic phone calls at three in the morning drunk and you know you know yeah yeah like um i i haven't i just haven't got the energy or the time for that right now i've got too many things i need someone who's gonna be a plus you know not a minus like i i can't now also have someone where hey i gotta bring this person along with me and if you get once you get to that mindset and you have built your life in a way that you have a lot of pride in what you're doing and your time is valuable and you don't you don't want to, you know, you've got good people around you. It becomes more and more nonsensical to have someone where there's a red flag. So you see that stuff and you're like, you know what you go, like if someone's suddenly playing these weird games on texting with you, even if it's like just a level, a modicum that I'm not into it. I'm like, you know what? Like you can have fun doing that with someone else. I'm, I'm good. Like I don't, I don't need to do the texting games. I don't need to do the hot and cold games. I don't need to do the manipulation. Like all that is like, good luck with it. I wish you the best. It's all good, but I'm, I'm fine, thanks. And But it's having that confidence to know that just because someone might tick a few great boxes, oh my God, they're attractive and smart and they're fun and they have a, a good relationship with their mother. Great. But if you see, oh, and also they suddenly will turn into a monster and say mean shit to me once a week on a text message. And then they'll go, Oh, I'm really sorry about that. Like that's, that's going to be your life. Mm. That's what's going to happen. That if, if you invest in this now, as long as you're okay with that, that's what's going to happen. But you know, once you realize like someone just having a bunch of good qualities, isn't sufficient. It's not sufficient. It's not going to sustain me. The stuff that's going to matter ultimately is going to be how we relate on a day-to-day level. Like week by week, 
Did we have more positive than negative interactions this week? That's the stuff that's really going to matter. If you truly value that, you won't like the red flags. You'll spot them and be like, I'm done. I would love to pick up on the kind of texting example you gave. Um, I was having this conversation quite recently with a friend where uh, she was telling me that, oh, a guy took eight hours to reply to her. So all their friends said, oh, well, you know, you take 10 hours to reply to him. And uh, he cancelled on her one day. So she made the point of saying, oh, no, it will. I'm not going out with you this week. We're going to go out next week. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I was thinking to myself, should we lower our standards to meet someone else where they are? Or should we just say, well, I'm going to go and find a partner who has standards similar to my own? Do you have any thoughts on, on that? Yeah. So are you in this case, um, he hasn't texted her in eight hours. And would he do that every time or just in like, was that the pattern? I, I think there was a kind of a pattern. And she, from my understanding of it, she was kind of degrading herself to end of saying, oh, well, if you've done X to me, then I'm going to kind of one up you and, and all these kind of kind of games right. that they got into. Yeah, I I just think those dynamics are always, you know, the when I've had the relationships have been really great. It's it's never had, you know, the ones that were bad always started with some element of me feeling like, oh, we had to, you know, play some game to keep them interested. And this is the sort of thing I would do when I was 19 and much more insecure and think, well, it must be great if they're taking two days to text me back. Oh, what am I <laughs> going to say next to win them? And yeah, I think, I think it's exhausting. And I just realized like, I don't want to live like that. And I think with your standards, you, again, you've got to know some people don't like to text at all and that's just what they're like. And they'd rather have a phone call. They're not big on that. And that's totally cool for some, some couples I know text each other all day and love it. Some couples I know it's like, I haven't got, I can't be bothered to do that, but we talk in the evening and it's good. So that's all cool. But I think if you're stuck in, once you get into this scenario where you are sitting and waiting by the phone and hoping they're going to message again, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like there's already a sign something's gone a bit awry. And I think you, your first thing is to literally, you need something better to do. The biggest life hack here is have something better to do than wait for someone's text message back. Because when you are, you know, like you, again, thinking like an investor, there's times when I've been like single and out there dating and, you know, when I'm just like enjoying my life, having fun, I might like meet some people, maybe on a dating app, maybe out one night in London, meets people, but, you know, and you're texting as you do. And you might be like, well, this person, like, this person's just being rubbish. has barely giving me anything back. Like, forget it. There's someone else here who's texting me a lot and is being really charming and interesting and friendly. And like you, I, like you talked about like liking people who like you. It's like one of the most big, big confidence hacks you can ever have. And if you just suddenly, if you gravitate more towards the leads that are actually giving you what you want, making it much like, oh, easy. We just talk when we want to talk. We're going to do, um, we, we arrange something and we meet up. Then you're going to have a much easier time. And it naturally it naturally raises your standards because the lower standard people just get dropped off by your filtering system. 
you know like i i totally you totally never want to suddenly go well this person's a real catch so i've got to lower my expectations for their behavior to keep them around otherwise they're going to think i'm too high maintenance and drift off that's a very very dangerous dynamic to start and that person will sense that that person will sense that they can do what they want they can treat you expendably because you'll just reply you'll just be around whenever and that's the dynamic you get into i remember once i stopped talking to someone because i remember she would send me these sporadic texts and it, and it was like very like, you know, intermittent replies. And then sometimes suddenly out of nowhere, like, Hey, do you want to blah, 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 or how are you doing? And I remember we arranged to meet like for coffee in London, like fine. Okay. Let's arrange to meet. Let's like, let's like get a plan in and see how it goes. And I remember the morning it was really snowy, uncharacteristically snowy in England. And I remember just texting on the morning, just making sure like, Hey, uh, just one check. We're still on for today. And I remember just not hearing at all anything. And it's like closer to the time, closer to the time. And then like, I think she texted me like when it was already like 25 minutes after we were supposed to meet. I didn't go because I didn't hear from her. And then she just went, oh, it's so cold today, though. But it was like 40 minutes after we were supposed to have already been met. So I could have gone there like an idiot and been sat there. And then get this text like, it's so cold today. And I was sitting at home and then just read that text. And I just sort of laughed. And I was like, I was just like, okay, like, okay, like done. I got, I got, I get the idea. Like this, this is a complete waste of investment, no time. And there's no like, oh, but maybe we can rearrange. It's like the window was there. I'm, you know, the offer was in place for you to show up, for you to kind of bring it back. And okay, never mind. Like, great. And so I think you're always testing every part of the, every stage you're testing someone's reciprocity. Like, are they putting in investment for this? Are they trying? Are they reaching out? Um, you know, are they coming back with more or are they just kind of constantly drip feeding you these tiny little crumbs? Um, and yeah, if you listen to those signs, you can just adjust your investment accordingly. I would wade through the snow to meet you for a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I well <laughs> that's quite it's quite the offer so i may i may take you yeah, off on that one day <laughs> i appreciate man we're running out of time so i just got uh three uh quick fire questions for you do you no, believe no. in the one no 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 um i think that the one it would be I, i'm a man of logic and science and it would be extremely coincidental if people's the one always happened to exist within their, uh, usually within their city out of a, a world of 6 billion people. It would be uh, extremely fortunate and coincidental. Um, so no, I, I think actually we're much more fortunate than that. I think that you, uh, you can make amazing connections with many people. And I think some people sadly feel like they've lost the one. And, you know, I always remind them what, you know, what they're trying to do is often just replace something they had before, but the, the next amazing person is, it's going to be different. It's going to be a totally different thing, but it will be unique and amazing and beautiful in all different kinds of ways. And that's much more empowering than this weird idea of, well, that person's gone. And that was the only person I could ever have been with in the entire world. Um, I think love is more expansive than that. Actually, 
yeah, you know, we we get different opportunities to fall in love in life sometimes with different people, you know, 20 years later. So um so no, to put it to put it quickly, I don't believe in the one. If you had to write a love letter to your future partner, um, you've come to the end of your life, uh, but you've done it, man. You've had about as good as a relationship as you could hope to be. You wasn't perfect for each other, but this was the relationship of your dreams. And at the end, you had to thank them for some things that you appreciated the most about that relationship and how they made you feel kind of like this is the gold standard. What would you say to them if you had to name a couple of things? Wow. Um, qualities I hope for them to have or mm. for, the or for the way they made you feel or ways that you really appreciated or maybe qualities. Yeah. I think I would be thanking someone for expanding my capacity to love beyond what I thought was possible. I think if, um, if something, you know, the most wonderful things about the true connections we find in life is that they make us realize our, like, the size of our heart is much bigger than we thought it was our capacity to um, love something beyond ourselves, um, which is something we should all strive, strive to do at some point is, uh, you know, I think that's one of the most beautiful things in the world. And, and, and also, you know, hopefully to have I think I would be I think I would be incredibly just incredibly grateful that someone chose to be a teammate with me and to actually be able to go through you know I think there's nothing more romantic and powerful than the fact that two people can go through the inevitable ups and downs of each other's lives and support each other through you know, you're going to have grief. I'm going to have grief. You're going to have failures. I'm going to have failures. We're going to have successes that we're going to share. But the fact that someone would choose to buy that ticket and take the ride with you on those ups and downs and, you know, get through them together and weather those difficult times. I think that's just an unbelievably uh, beautiful thing that people choose to do for each other. And you, there might have been a total stranger one day, but here you are, you know, over 30, 40, 50 years, um, still supporting each other, still, you know, guiding each other through life, still, you know, creating new family, hopefully. And just, just that idea that you both um, take on that responsibility together, I think is a truly kind of magical thing that human beings do. And we, we just choose to do it. We choose to you know, we choose to do that for each other. And uh, so, yeah, that's probably what I'd be thanking someone for. Man, that was beautiful. I, I felt myself getting goosebumps whilst you were talking <laughs> there. I would love to just sign off this podcast and then ask you to signpost these guys where they can connect with you. I'll be interested to hear your answer for this last one since you were a, a philosophy student. But my last question that we sign off all of our podcasts with is what makes a life worth living? Um, well, uh, I remember that Freud said once about the, you know, one of the, the algorithm for happiness was essentially, you know, meaningful work and loving 
you know, relationships. And, you know, that's definitely not a bad place to start. Um, I think of a life well lived. I don't, you know, I think we're very quick to associate it with purely, you know, merit and success and maybe getting certain things like that's why we think get family, get the, uh, the right degree, get the right financial situation, make an impact on the world. I think all those things have their place. I think, I think though for, I think for the individual, I do think at the, you know, at the most sort of fundamental level, there is a feeling of, do you feel like you left behind more than you took from the world? Do you feel like you were able, you know, like I said about expanding our capacity to love, did you add love and connection and kindness to the world uh, at a fundamental level? Or did you take away from it? And because not everyone needs to have some giant, enormous, you know, world altering impact. I think we make incredible impacts through what we do on small scales sometimes in small levels. And, you know, when I've even received emails from people who have followed our work or, you know, some of the most touching, amazing emails and just not being aware, like, oh, that one, that one kind message I sent to someone, that one good deed I did, that one bit of time I worked a bit harder to make sure someone was taken care of, that really registered and meant something to someone. I think our capacity for creating that is unbelievable. And if you want to talk about things that are underrated, it is knowing your capacity to deeply impact the world on a small scale, but in a big way. Uh, so yeah, perhaps, perhaps a life well lived is one where you hopefully are able to fulfill some of your potential, but ultimately how much you're able to um, give the most kindness, love, uh, support to other people you can and make their journey a bit easier. Let me pay my gratitude to you, Stephen, because I've listened to uh, many, many of the uh, episodes which you've put out. I've followed you on Instagram. I've seen you in YouTube videos. You really putting out a lot of fantastic, fantastic content, which I know has helped me personally. So I want to pay my gratitude towards you. Where can these guys connect with you and all the great work you guys are doing? Well, thank you so much, Fetcher. I appreciate it. And um, I'm, I'm going to follow your work with interest in what you guys are putting out because you're doing uh, some really cool stuff here. I, uh, people can follow me um, on YouTube. Go and check out my YouTube channel, uh, Stephen Hussey. And uh, I'm kind of learning exactly what that channel is, but I've been talking about books and rationality and writing and things like that and a bit of philosophy. Uh, or you can go follow me on Instagram at Stephen H. Hussey. Uh, yeah, go check me out there. Go check him out. Stephen, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on, man. All right, Joe. Pleasure. Thank you for having me.